This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. American Sex with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. Ken, guess what? What? People love us. Oh, who? A lot of people. 71 people on iTunes gave us five-star reviews. That's not enough. Everybody go to iTunes if you haven't gone there already and review us, and we're going to show you why. So, yeah, here's like how you should write your review. For instance, <clears throat> I'm listening now to the latest episode. And as always, laughing, the exploration of the human experience through life and sex are fundamentally brilliant. Their show comes across, their show comes across, write it like Barbara Walters. Their show comes across as a twisted degree of madness and genius. Sonny is fun and captivating. I'm fun and captivating, Ken. Do you think I'm fun and cat? You're giving you me a, a face like... I'm not giving you a face. The cat is meowing. Okay. The, the cat thinks I'm fun and captivating, too. The That's why she's hilarious. meowing. But, Ken... What? You are funny. And as someone is with a soft spot for older daddy doms, you're sexy as hell. Aww. Aww. This show will have you laugh, learn, and feel more connected to two strangers than you ever thought you could. They share their lives openly with us, included flubs and fuck-ups that makes the connection to learning about the subject of sex addicting, similar to a soap opera. Finding a new episode in my feed always makes me happy. Aww. That makes me feel all like tingly and warm and fuzzy in my heart. I, I feel appreciated and loved and I feel sexy now. That's awesome. That's so sweet. It re- I'm, I am like... I don't know. Part I don't want to be like, well, of course people love us because I'm always like, oh no, are people going to listen to this thing? But it's like people are listening and I'm just kind of That's blown good. away. And, and by the way, guys, one of the things that, that we do this podcast for is not only to help other people. I mean, yes, there's a monetary factor that's involved and this is what we do for our job, but that's not the primary reason that we do it. We do it because we're helping other people and Getting that praise means a lot to us because both of us are big softies on the inside and it makes us want to give you more and better content all of the time when we get positive feedback. Sonny and I both work really well with positive reinforcement and this is a way to do that for us. So if you want to make us feel nice and good and it won't cost you anything, leave us an amazing iTunes review just like that one and we will feel incredible and we will give you better content. Ultimately, we're trying to make the world a better place, but also we live in America, which is a capitalist society. And the more five-star reviews we have, the more sponsors we'll get, the more subscriptions and listeners we'll get. So everybody benefits. Everyone wins. And we can eat something besides ramen. So... Win, 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 win for everyone. Which would be great because I have a heart condition. I can't have ramen anymore. It's too salty. <laughs> I got to have shit with salt. No, not shit, shit. But like I have to have stuff with, with no salt now. So, hey, friends. <laughs> 
Okay. I'm looking at my... I have, we have a little script with like bullet points of what we talk about and I have me sing. <laughs> I have me sing. Hey, friends. I'm Ken Milfoinberg. And Ken- I'm Sonny Megatron. And welcome to American Sex. <laughs> no one said we were perfect. All right, Ken. What about our Patreon supporters? Well, it's time to shout out to our newest Patreon supporters who joined our happy Patreon family in the last week. A great big welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Daniel, Rick, podcast we listen to, Narangsak, listeners. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Okay, Sonny, your fucking grammar sucks here. There's a comma there. I'm reading (laughs) It's a period, Grandpa. You can't see. Oh, yeah, it is a period. (laughs) Listeners. You, too, can hop on over to the patreon.com backslash American Sex to hear our guest bonus stories, and many of them are free. This week's guest, Ann Hodder, tells us a hilarious story about something I'm not going to tell you about right now, but you'll listen to it shortly. Again, many of our bonus tracks are free, but if you do choose to support us monetarily... On Patreon, you'll get other perks like access to early episodes, additional bonus material, shut the fuck up, cat, and (laughs) occasional random bonus gifts. We're mailing a Scandal Red Room kit out to a random January supporter, and we're going to pick another surprise or two to send off to some of the other folks that are on our Patreon. There's still some time for you to be one of those people. After January pledges are billed on February 1st, pay attention to your Patreon inbox. You may just get a note from us that something is on its way. And there's only 21 of you right now, so the odds are really good that you might be selected. I'm laughing because it's like, yeah, we are a homegrown uh not filmed what what are we doing recorded podcast in our bedroom cot pod podcast fuck everything because the cat's like meow meow there's people outside honking their horns going by but whatever so listeners just because we love you and by the way that's you right here listening you especially you you right there we love i love you oh and you we love you a little extra oh but you fuck you <laughs> you go fuck yourself. But everybody else, you're cool. Yeah. Every month on American Sex Podcast, we give away sex toys and accessories. So for January, which is almost over, by the way, so act fast, we're giving away a Crave Vesper 24 karat gold vibrating necklace valued at $150. It's been provided by our awesome sponsor, Castle Megastore. So head on over to sunnymegatron.com slash Vesper to enter. We're going to draw the winner on my Facebook page. It's facebook.com backslash Sunny Megatron or fun slash. I always fuck that up. Whatever slash. We're going to do that on my Facebook whenever, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock at night, whenever I have time and the kids aren't bugging me and shit's not going on. People are getting shot out in front of our house because that happened this week. Yeah, there was a murder in front of our house. No, actually, he lived. lived. I found out he's a critical condition. He didn't die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad he didn't die. Yes. But, you know, Trump talking about Chicago being shooty. Fuck you, Trump. We're not shooty. Go fuck yourself. We just have some flavor. Fucking mango Mussolini. (laughs) Tangerine Caligula. Anyway, so February 1st, we're going to draw the winner for that Crave Vesper necklace sponsored by Castle Megastore. And if you want to buy this for yourself or anything else from Castle Megastore, our fans always get 20% off their order at CastleMegastore.com when they use the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout. And if you missed any of the link we mentioned 
right now or even others throughout the episode, never fear. They are always in our handy dandy show notes and you can get them at SunnyMegatron.com or at AmericanSexPodcast.com. If you want to ask us a question about sex, try our voicemail number, which is 773 Muff Toy. That's M U F F T O Y. We would love to get a question from you guys so that we can read it on air. So please, anybody can ask us anything, whether it's about sex, whether it's about Sonny or I, we'll answer any kind of personal questions at all, except where we live and how to stalk us. Right. If it's about like, what's your favorite cheese? We'll answer that. What is your favorite cheese, Ken? I think I know, but I'm I'm doing it for the listeners. No, I I want you to say what it is, and I will confirm or deny. It's smoked Gouda, Mr. You are correct. You would win at the newlywed game. That is correct. It is smoked Gouda. So what's my favorite cheese? This is going to be a hard one. I don't think you're going to get it. It's one of two things, which is either dill Havarti or blue cheese. Port Salute. What? Yeah. You never buy Port Salute. Because I don't know where to buy it. Only Uncle George brings it over and it's like, oh, Uncle George is bringing the sacred well, How cheese. am I supposed to know that if you've never told me? I, I'm i telling you. I, I'm looking at what you eat. Like you eat Dill Havarti, you eat blue cheese. I eat, Shut the fuck up, cat. I eat what I can get easily and cheaply at Aldi. And then I let Uncle George come and bring the fancy stuff when he comes to visit. So, yeah, that's a cheese I like. But I wonder what kind of cheese our guest Ann Hodder likes. This week, our guest is Ann Hodder. Now, Ann is an ACS, which is a multi-certified sex educator endorsed by San Francisco Sex Information and the American College of Sexologists International. A cum laude graduate of the Roy H. Park School of Communications at Ithaca College, Anne's journalism and sociology background led her to work as a journalist focusing on sexuality and the adult industry before being professionally trained in accurate and inclusive sex education. Anne received her first certification and endorsement by the renowned San Francisco Sex Information Program and continued her training via the American College of Sexologists International in Planned Parenthood Los Angeles School-Based Sex Education Program, where she honed a special skill for working with adolescents. She boasts a unique understanding of age-appropriate education, high school sex ed, critical thinking, and trauma sensitivity, and most recently, Anne has brought her teaching style into the addiction treatment and mental health communities. Anne provides accurate and accessible sexual health information and healthy relationship tools with a special focus on inclusivity, shame reduction, and effective communication skills and with a friendly and non-judgmental approach. Anne helps clients of all kinds heal, grow, and be their most authentic selves. I really enjoyed our conversation with Anne. And listeners, you're going to get a lot out of this from, you know, how to be a better person, how to own your shit, how to communicate better sexually, how to deal with addiction and not just addiction addiction, but sex addiction. Is that a real thing? We talk about it. And then I think one of my favorite parts of the conversation was bridging the logical and the spiritual woo to a place where everyone can appreciate it. So yeah, that was a really interesting thing. And we learned a lot about Anne's husband, Nathaniel. Yes. <laughs> we so, talk more about Nathaniel than we do about Anne, which is kind of ironic. So without further ado, we'll just let you listen to it. Here's Anne Hotter. Hi, Ann Hodder. Hi, Ann. Oh, hey. Hey. Otherwise known, and we were talking about this, or a long time ago, otherwise known as Barbie, da- 
Barbie. Barbie <laughs> Davenport. Barbie Davenport. Now, the, 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 the odd thing was, I knew who Barbie Davenport was, and I've known, of course, Ann Hodder for years, but I didn't know that they were the same person until like a week ago. I feel like a fucking idiot. Oh, no. I, love just- that. I think that it's adorable, and I think that you should just like give yourself a hug because it has been years since I've had a conversation with someone that went along the lines of, wait a minute, you're Barbie? So it makes me feel <laughs> nostalgic and like I'm relevant. So I'm into it. Nice. So, all right. That's, I think that's a good place to start. So once upon a time, you were Barbie Davenport. And a lot of what you did, you did a lot of writing as Barbie Davenport, right? That's kind of oh, how the you, village you, voice, you right? got into this. So tell me, tell me the story. Yeah. I mean, I wish that this was an exciting story or maybe it is and I'm just jaded, but I was... Just I had just left doing journalism specifically for the adult industry, and I was still a journalist. And I was like, how do I write about sex in a fact-based AP style geek out journalism way? Because that was my goal at the time. And I was connected with LA Weekly's, I think he was the marketing director or the advertising VP of advertising. Um, at the time, they were owned by Village Voice Media. And so they had this concept of building a sex blog where it could be syndicated across all 13 of the publications that VVM owned, Village Voice Media, and it would essentially be a landing point for all of their adult-focused ads, because those ads couldn't go onto any of the other syndicated websites' regular pages, because they were essentially selling ads, subtly selling hand jobs and you know massage parlors and such, um, mm-hmm. and other sexy services and strip clubs, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so since everyone clutched their pearls about services like that, they needed to find a completely separate place for them to live. And so they were like, Anne, why don't you run the website? We don't even give a fuck what you write about. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to fill it with the ads that we need to fill it with. And I was like, okay. And so I became the web editor for something called After Dark LA. And it was going to start in Los Angeles. And then there was going to be After Dark San Francisco and After Dark Houston and all the other things. And um, I was just given carte blanche. And so thank God I had some level of ethics and training because I could have totally fucked it up. Honestly. Yeah, you could have. But you, I, I know you. Have. You're smart. I'm glad you didn't. Uh, thank you. Me too. I mean, it would have been such a bummer if I had fucked that up. Um, but I just kind of... I started doing it and I had already had Barbie Davenport as a pseudonym back in the, the adult industry journalism days. I had to have two different entities. If I was writing for the consumers, I would write as Barbie Davenport. And if I was writing as the industry professional, I was Ann Winter. That uh-huh. was my pseudonym at the time. So Barbie existed. Barbie had a couple of videos on a website called xfans.com, X-F-A-N-Z. I have no idea if that exists anymore. And the videos were, I mean, honestly, fucking great. Like I just came alive on camera and was interviewing porn stars and we had a great time. So I was like, why wouldn't I bring Barbie into the LA Weekly blog? Because we got to start somewhere. And as I started building the site, I was the only writer. I was given a small budget to have other people write as well. And long story short, this is actually a little side note story, which is kind of fun. Um, at the same time as I was building After Dark LA, Village Voice Media in New York City decided to hire someone else to try a, I think it was like a Tumblr style blog that would essentially be a a direct competition to AfterDarkLA.com. And I think unbeknownst to me and the editor they chose, I think they wanted to put us against each other to see who would win with the most traffic. 
God, I hate it when they do that. Like, what a dick move. It was such bullshit. Well, here's what we did with the dick move, because we're two very smart fucking, you know, cis women who know how to, like, work the, I don't know, system. Um, it was obviously, a, you know, a bunch of just white cis men who were like, let's see what these girls do with sex on the internet. Girl like, fight, girl just, fight. Yeah, basically, <laughs> such bullshit. And so she and I at first were like, who the fuck are you? And then when we met, we were like, whoa, wait a minute, you're fucking cool. And her name is A.V. Flux, and people will know her from the internet, from Blog Her and Naked City back in the day. And we decided to create a huge feud on the internet to get people to give a fuck about our website. Ooh, you that are a good awesome. market. So, you're like a natural marketer. So you guys are like Tupac and Biggie. In a way, except less murder, <laughs> you know? Um but uh, it, it totally worked, and we had so much fun, and we did like a lingerie fight online, and that's um, fucking brilliant. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we took this this idea of girl fighting, which you know is just a bullshit archetype that will always sell stuff, and we made it a little bit different, so it didn't feel grimy and gross and stereotypical, and we had a lot of fun because we were insulting each other on the internet for like really like highbrow things and things that were really on brand. So I remember. Uh, making comments about Evie's incredibly long coke nails. And I remember her whole thing was like, she, you know, eats people for breakfast and she gives zero fucks and she, you know, talks to the ravens and is very, you know, reads books in the bathtub while getting anal, you know, like just her whole thing. And then my thing was like, cat lady, single, sex toys everywhere, blonde, bubbly, does yoga and likes acupuncture. And so we would just make fun of each other for the identities that we had and um, people just loved it. And, uh, and so Barbie existed for several years and then just very suddenly, you know, village voice was sold to a media conglomerate in Arizona. That was again, run with by a lot of gray haired white cis guys who were just like, harf, 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 harumph, harumph, and just didn't really know <laughs> what the internet meant for <laughs> journalism and, and for their newspapers. And so they slowly phased out the sex blogs, and then all the backpage.com uh, drama happened with, um, I think it actually started with Ashton Kutcher's like online campaign about human sex trafficking. Yeah, um, it did. Yeah. And so when Village Voice was getting sued, they just decided to completely cut ties with anything Backpage related, even though Backpage, I think, was like 60 something percent of their revenue. Complete wow. The whole yeah, I don't know. Huge I believe part it. of their revenue. And it really fucked over sex workers. Oh, it fucked everyone over. It was so fucked. And it was just reactionary. But what else is new? Oh, God, mm-hmm. I'm terrified. We might get in trouble and lose money. Therefore, let's just completely cut ties, no matter what this does to the people involved. To the people who helped make us millions of dollars, we're just going to pretend you never existed because now we're scared and we don't want our shareholders to get mad at us. Now, I have a question. Is LA Weekly the same like media outlet that just fired all of their independent writers yes. recently because we had a ton oh, yeah. of friends that worked for them in a okay. lot of different capacities and they're all like scrambling to find jobs now because they dicked over the little guys one more time. Yeah, a bunch of shady shit happened and I actually um I checked in with one of the few staff members who was kept on. I don't know if he's still there, but he kind of like posted something rogue on laweekly.com when it happened. Um LA Weekly was just was sold once again to a company that secretly had some kind of conservative political ties, but didn't disclose it. And I might not be saying the story correctly or accurately. So I encourage listeners to go on the internet and just use that whole Google search engine thing that I've heard about. Um, (laughs) But basically everyone was like, who the fuck are the new owners? What does this mean for LA Weekly's 
political bent and their um, their activism and the the subjects that they cover. Does this mean this is going to be used as a, a bullshit mouthpiece, you know, to spread political agendas? Like there's a lot of fear. Um, but yes, once again, it's this idea of like, it's not making enough money. We need to sell. Then they sell it to the highest bidder. And then the highest bidder doesn't quite know what they're working with. Like they oh. were incredibly tone deaf when they put out statements about who they were and what their plans were. They didn't really understand. I think there was some issue. Like they didn't even know what a, that we call ourselves Los Angelinos. Oh, there was just some tone deaf. Like, who are you? Like, what planet did you roll in from? And couldn't you have researched a little before you started doing public statements? Oh God. Well, hi, LA skis. We're your new bosses. No, seriously. Like, <laughs> all right, cool. We're like the cool guys. And- don't worry, nothing's going to change, except things are going to change. We're just not going to tell you about it. And it, it was such chaos for a little while. Um, and it's just sad. LA Weekly, as with OC Weekly and other weekly papers, a huge, historic, iconic fixture in Los Angeles's culture, um, partly because the back pages of LAWeekly.com were a safer zone for sex workers and people who service providers that were less conventional um, than the mainstream, um, they had a place to advertise and mm-hmm. gain clientele and keep communication. And it was safe and, and allowed and legal. And LA Weekly knew how to manage it. They had a separate sales staff specifically for sex workers, service providers in that realm. They knew how to sell it. They knew how to care for their clients to really kind older men. And um, so all that, you know, just went out the window. And I actually don't know what's happening with it now. And it's it's not my circus or my monkeys, so I, I don't know how much I care to know. Yeah. Kind of just sad. It really is. It really is. It's I, From what I understand, I, I think it's pretty much just dissolved and nobody's doing anything. I mean, but I don't understand why somebody would buy a property and then just get rid of the staff unless they're trying to do what, you know, companies like Babe.net, for example, which is funded by Rupert Murdoch, is trying to get mm. essentially free interns to work for it and Ugh. utilize their talent um, yeah, not surprising. In, work for free. You'll get great advertising. Right. You'll, look right. at the exposure. Look at the we exposure. Right. If we could deposit exposure at the bank, I'd be fine with it. But uh, I'd my be landlord, rich, as of like, today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She does not accept exposure every month, so people can go fuck off with their exposure. Yeah, and anybody who's self-employed out there who is listening to this, if anybody offers you exposure or an intern job instead of actual money, think about what it is that you can buy your groceries with and pay your electric bill with, because you cannot do it with exposure, with any sort of publicity. There's nothing that you can do to you know capitalize that and turn it into actual cash money that you can eat. Mm-hmm. So, totally. y- you, I mean, you with your fuck you pay me basically shows that you're pretty smart and savvy and so then after barbie davenport you got into sex education and in one path i guess Mm -hmm. and then also working with what like manufacturers and toy companies sort of on another path at the same time and do i have that right kind of so it was interesting at the same time as the la weekly stuff was happening i actually started my pr and marketing company Totally accidentally. And so I was running, it's called Hotter Media. And it basically just came about because when I left the magazine, I had started the sex toy division of that company, whether or not they would give me credit, I don't know. Um, Doesn't really matter. But while I was working there, I became friends with everyone in the sex toy industry. And so when they heard that I left the magazine, they were like, holy fucking shit, can you help me with everything? 
And I was like, I guess. You were like, yes, I can. If you pay me. I was confused when we first met you because you wore so many different hats. I remember the first time I met you in person. I want to say it was like at AVN 2012 or 2011 or something like that. Then Mm -hmm. the second time was at the sexual health expo in phoenix where you were doing pr and social media right actually no i have not been involved with a sexual health expo at all partly because oh no i'm sorry you're all good um they're run by xbiz and xbiz i actually don't have any professional ties with them i provide them content and i make them money my, my clients advertise with them but i don't i have never been asked by them to work with them which i'm really okay with (laughs) <laughs> so, so you did all these things and then there was this other chick that looked just like you named barbie and ken was really confused no. yep. now it all makes sense exactly now it is. Like my old man brain is my def- my default setting is just wrong it's all good but yeah so i was doing a lot of that all at once yes definitely lots of hats but because i had learned so much about the business of sex toys I was able to help a lot of sex toy companies with like packaging descriptions and and helping with, you know, make their marketing a little bit more less like antiquated, like kind of relying on the same old taglines and and silliness and try to give an identity to the brands a little bit more, especially as the industry became more competitive. Like when there isn't a whole lot that's sort of separating your products from your competitors products, it's really all about how you literally and figuratively package the items that you sell. So um, I formed really close relationships on the business side um, with some manufacturers and distributors and continue to work with them today, even as I branch more into sex ed, because sex ed is what I enjoy the most. So you you branched off to start doing some sex education. And now I've heard you're doing something really, really interesting that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that you're actually going into what rehabs and whatnot and teaching people with addiction issues and talking about sex with them. Tell me about that. So a lot of the um, the rehab treatment format, at least in the Los Angeles area, and I would guess that this is the majority of you know the US industry, um, part of a treatment program is a, there's a required number of group workshops or group sessions that clients are required to attend. And some of these group topics range from codependence to, uh, I don't know, relapse prevention. And I started dating someone who was working in the treatment industry as a one-on-one practitioner as well as a group practitioner. And I remember him telling me a story about he witnessed some female clients having their vibrators confiscated as contraband and how the women felt incredibly mortified because it was happening in front of people. And they were told that if you wanted to use your vibrator, you had to check it out from by, with a staff member. So it was just all shame, all shame. Jesus. And I remember sitting there like, that is not okay. What the fuck is going on here? And so I just started talking more. And, and he's worked in the industry for a really long time. And so he was a really wonderful resource. And then I married him. Now he's my husband. Oh. Um, but yeah, um, but uh, he was like, you know what? We need a sex educator doing groups. Like, we don't talk about sex, but clients are fucking everywhere they can. They're all getting pregnant and STDs, and the staff members don't know what to do about it. So they all get shamey, and if they walk in on someone having sex with their girlfriend, they just punish them and give them a curfew. And, like, that's not actually offering anyone any assistance, you know? Um it's just punitive, kind of like how, you know, parents end up dealing with their kids when they walk in on them masturbating. It's like, your discomfort is not the way to handle, like, 
if, if you're uncomfortable, fine, but you got to handle what you're witnessing in a professional and compassionate manner or else you're going to fuck the person up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you, you know, whatever your potentially puritanical views on what clients should and should not be doing as sexual beings doesn't really matter. It's none of your business what they are doing. Like technically your job is to maintain a safe space and to help them, um, build and maintain some level of recovery for the 90 days that their insurance are paying for it. So in the meantime, why don't we help with other aspects of their recovery that are not being addressed? So now I lead groups at inpatient and outpatient facilities and programs, um, anyone who will have me really. And we really touch a lot on this idea of, okay, so you are now, you're a sober person and you are in some ways kind of starting from scratch. Like now that you don't have this coping mechanism and this potentially numbed out brain, you are getting to know yourself as yourself. And for some people, it's the first time that they've really just been in their own head, their unmedicated head for the majority of their formative years. And so they're like, who the fuck is this person? I don't like this person. What are these emotions? I'm not into this at all. I feel like I'm fucking crazy. And you have to sort of like figure out who your your what your identity is. And wow. It's like like being forced into almost like a a new puberty sort of it's like so similar. Oh my god, it is so similar. And so part of figuring out your identity and getting to know yourself is like who am I as a sexual being? Like what do I like? What do I not like? Who do I want to date? What happens to me when I do date? What are my behavioral patterns that end up getting me into fucked up situations? Mm. How is sex tied into my addictive disorder? Does it play a role at all? Do I utilize sex in ways that could be considered harmful to me? And if so, what do I do about that? And um, the closest thing that people in rehabs were getting was access to something called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and also known as SLA. And it's essentially a 12-step based program similar to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was sort of the only option out there. And that's really uh, rooted in the sex addiction model that potentially you've talked to on this about on the show before. But it, it's a problematic prognosis based mostly on social stereotyping, social norms, social constructs and shame. And there absolutely is compulsive sexual disorders. There are absolutely people out there who have trouble with their sexual desire and sexual compulsion, and it gets in the way of their lives. That exists. However, that is rarely what ends up being diagnosed as sex addiction. Right. And part of this whole idea of sex addiction is if you are horny a lot and you want to have a lot of sex or you watch porn five times a day or you jerk off three times a day, you're probably a sex addict. And it was all basically self-diagnosed. Someone who felt uncomfortable with their sexual desire and they thought they had, quote unquote, too much desire, they had to have been an addict. Therefore, now they're going to go to meetings and seek oh, out help. And it's that's sad. That's awful. It, yeah. Um, and, and it's just like, I mean, it, everyone's right. They can self-identify the way that they want to. But I'm going to also, if, if someone, if a client comes to me and they say, I also identify as a porn addict and a sex addict, I'm just going to ask, Okay, cool. How did you get to that conclusion? Tell me more about that. And I want to better understand the process they get to, they they followed to get to that conclusion. And I'm going to tell you so far, and I've only been doing this for a couple of years, so obviously like, I'm a noob, but so far for me, 10 times out of 10, the person just decided that because they masturbate twice a day or uh, they really enjoy watching porn 
and rely on porn to get turned on, they've self-diagnosed as an addict. And so as a porn addict or a sex addict. So then they add that to their list of diagnoses. And it's just another thing for them to feel ashamed about. And at the same time, they're essentially diagnosing their sexual identity as some kind of disorder. Wow. But because there's no baseline for them to follow, they just think, well, if I'm masturbating three times a day, there must be something wrong with me. What I would rather them get to is I'm masturbating three times a day. Why? What does masturbation offer me? Does it get in the way of me getting my bills paid, going to work and having relationships and and living a life? If yes, cool, let's work on that. That could be compulsive. If not, maybe this is who you are. Right. And that's and and is that a problem for you? And t- let's break down why this is something you're unsettled about because it's possible the reason why you think you're bad and wrong is because someone told you once or you read about it in a magazine or you heard about it from someone else and it was based on some kind of socially constructed definition of normal. So why don't we then get to know yourself more and then let's work on your own definition of normal and then root yourself in that. Now, I have a question for you because I definitely believe in compulsion disorders, but the word sex addiction, I have a problem Mm -hmm. with just because that automatically brings up pictures of people like Harvey Weinstein that use it as a catch-all excuse for ill behavior as opposed to somebody who has a difficulty maintaining relationships or a job due to excessive compulsive behavior of any sort. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that this is simply like a compulsion disorder? Is there actually such a thing specifically as sex addiction? I wish that I could say a very clean yes or no. The way that we see sex addiction in in our culture, it doesn't exist. The DSM does not consider it an actual disorder. And what's the DSM for listeners? It's a Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Yeah, it's the manual that therapists utilize in order to essentially it's like a list of categorized mental disorders that you can if you want to sort of diagnose someone you're like well these traits fall into this diagnosis and if it's in the dsm it means it exists and it's a thing that's supported by the diagnostic board and like it's universally accepted as a as a thing so the dsm does not consider sex addiction to be an actual diagnosis and then the american association of sexuality educators and counselors also known as asect They also are very public about the fact that they do not support sex addiction as a thing or a diagnosis either. Because the way that our culture, like you said, Ken, the way that our culture utilizes the sex addiction diagnosis, it's really either a punishment, a shame tactic, or it's utilized as some sort of excuse in order to rescind and let go of any responsibility for harmful behavior. And so it's really, it's one of the most misdiagnosed mental disorders that I know of. But there absolutely is an issue with compulsive sex. And actually something, um, David Lay, who has, is very vocal about the myth of sex addiction. That's oh, yeah, I was going to bring his name up, book. actually. He just wrote something yesterday about compulsive sexual behavior disorder being considered a diagnosis. So it would be called compulsive sexual behavior disorder <laughs> rather than sex addiction. But that's just changing names. It's like not... It is, but I also... I. I'm interested to learn more about it and I want to read more. It appears to be relatively new. But the thing about compulsive sexual behavior disorder is it's a little bit more specific. And I think that the diagnostic process is much more uh, informed 
than the traditional sex addiction diagnostic process. I'm definitely going to look that up. I'm, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm a CCS and a CCSP uh, in a former lifetime. So I was a, a paramedic a million years ago, but I'm also somebody who did uh, like medical coding and billing, including stuff from the DSM and from the, like the ICD-10 and that sort of thing. Um, and part of this is like, so the DSM has two functions. One of them is to categorize things. The other is to make sure that you can pay out mm-hmm. for whatever the correct thing is. So when a doctor Makes gives sense. a diagnosis on something, my job was to see, is the doctor categorizing this into the right thing? So things into categories are interesting to me, especially when it applies to the mind. And yeah. even more so as a sex educator, how it applies to sex addiction or compulsive disorder. Or what, what was the what was the term that David used? This is compul- it's actually in the it's something called the International Classification of Disease. It's a coding manual. Okay. Um the, the ICD eleven. They have now yeah. called it compulsive sexual behavior disorder. The real the main thing about and, and again, I've only read a little bit about this because it was a day ago. Um, I think the main difference is you can't self-identify as this. And the main thing with sex addiction is it's heavily dependent on people self-identifying as a sex addict in order to get help. And so it's not enough to self-identify as a compulsive sexual behavior disorder person in order to fall in that category. There's more to it, which is really important and a positive move, in my opinion. Absolutely. And you know what? And on that note, I think we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll be right back with Not Barbie Davenport. I know you're fancy, and I know you've been eyeing some of those luxury sex toys, haven't you, you frisky little fox? Well, I also know that you enjoy a good discount, don't you, dear? You now can get 20% off your entire order, plus free shipping, at luxury sex toy retailer Lalo.com with discount code SUNNY. Yes, dear, you heard me right. 20% off anything your little heart, or, well, other parts. Desire at lelo.com using discount code SUNNY. Yes, dear, you can thank me later. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Megastore. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my god, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. And we're back with Ann Hodder. Hello. <laughs> you love your doing your radio voice, I Ken, do love my you? radio voice. Yeah. It's yeah. the same as my strip club DJ voice. Oh, really? Oh, I thought I've heard it before. <laughs> Next on the stage, Andy. So we've been talking about the work that you do in rehab centers and, and sex addiction. Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? Now, there's something that you've been doing that is relatively new that I don't know much about. And I'm really curious about. You've been doing these workshops quarterly with your husband, called mm-hmm. own your own own your shit workshops. Now, like I said, I'm not too familiar, but just the name, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, 
people need that. I don't need that, but I'll go because everybody else needs it. Um, so maybe I'm not owning my shit. So tell me. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's exactly the reason I loved the idea of this workshop because it specifically talks about personal responsibility. And that's something that I'm huge. Yeah. On. So tell us totally. about it. Well, so, um, so yeah, so my husband, just a little bit about him so that there's context. His name is Nathaniel. He goes by Nathaniel V. Dust, but also Nathaniel Hottership. We both, when we got married, we changed our names together. Aww. Um, fuck the patriarchy. That's bullshit. <laughs> um, and he's been doing a breathwork modality for about eight plus years. And he's, he does weekly, he, he runs something called breathwork for recovery, which is literally utilizing breathwork as an alternative to or a supplement to traditional 12-step recovery programs. And it's really successful. Uh, Tuesday night free meetings in Los Angeles. Go to breathworkforrecovery.com. It's, it's fucking cool. But anyway. Um, and really briefly describe what breathwork is for those who, that don't know what that is. Thank you. It's super smart. So breathwork, there's a couple, when people hear breathwork, they hear a lot of different things. Kundalini breathwork, sort of hyperventilating type breathwork, breathing through one nostril. The breathwork that um, Nathaniel teaches and does is a, a two-part breath. It's not fast, and it's essentially you first breathe into the low belly, then you breathe into the upper chest, and then you exhale completely. And so it's inhale, inhale, exhale. And it can be as fast as slow as you want. And the idea really is to, among other things, you over-oxygenate your body and your brain, and it helps sort of tell your brain, for lack of a better term, to shut the fuck up just for a little while. And then it allows, by having the active portion of your brain sort of on pause and maybe it's it's kind of like chilling out for a bit some of the deep rooted buried emotions and often trauma has an opportunity to surface mm. and so it's an opportunity to really deeply connect to yourself and you feel very in your body and i think a majority of us are kind of floating around trying to just make life happen and just to to exist and a lot of that is breathing into our shoulders and going from thing to thing to thing, and never really taking a minute to sort of ground in our actual bodies. Like, how am I feeling right now? What do I need right now? So and it sort really, of puts you into a meditative state? People call it an active meditation, yes, because it it requires, you're not sitting there slowly thinking and oming and then hoping that your brain turns off. This is something that's actively turning your brain off for you. The challenge of it is it's not comfortable. It brings shit up. and um, you feel vulnerable. And so it's important to do it in a space with a practitioner who knows what they're doing and is able to handle if and when a trauma response happens. And Nathaniel is so trained in that. He's a natural empath, incredibly compassionate, and he is practically a mind reader. He's just so good with people and what they're, what shit's coming up for them. And um, so he sometimes works into your body and might press on your feet or loosen your hip a little bit with consent, of course. And really helps you sort of process stuff. And so even after one breathwork session, people leave feeling, some people report they feel high. So people like that. But you really just feel a sense of like, I'm okay. I feel safe. I feel joy. I feel a connection to my emotions that I haven't felt in a really long time. And that lasts. And the thing about breathwork is you can do it anywhere because you have lungs. So you can really do it wherever you need to. Um, and also, I should mention, this is all done while lying on your back and you breathe through your mouth. Okay. So long explanation. So Nathaniel's been doing that for a while. And so we decided to sort of create a Venn diagram between my work and his work 
So the own your shit workshops are really based on yes, owning your shit, but a lot of it has to do with sex and relationships. And so the workshop that we've been doing in New York and Los Angeles is called own your shit rights and rights of healthy relationships. So R I T E S and then R I G H T S. So, you know, traditions and constructs of relationships, but we're also talking about basic human rights that people have when you're entering any kind of relationship, whether it's sexual, romantic, platonic, work-related, family, these rights apply for all of it. And the first half of the workshop, everyone's sort of talking about what their experiences are, and we actually run through a list of human rights that we have in relationships. And there's something about seeing your rights listed on paper that make it really difficult to argue with. You know, it's it's hard to say, oh, no, I shouldn't say what I need to say or, you know, I, I don't need my own space or it's OK if we're not totally equal, because when you see that you actually have the right to those things and like organizations like the World Health Organization have supported these rights, it's you can't really deny them to yourself. And so it's an it's really empowering. It's something that you can kind of anchor yourself in. And then we talk about how the rights might apply to you. Like, does this sound like bullshit? Does this sound like something that you've actually, what is the word? Oh my gosh, I want to say inflicted, um, that you have not respected in partners. You know, have you, have you always owned your rights, but then denied your partner's rights? Like, let's just get real. And once we have that conversation, the second half of the workshop is a breathwork session. It's all, you know, it's done in a group and it's a really incredibly safe space. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel and I always put together a special music playlist that has songs that um, really connect to us, connect to the subject matter that we talk about and aren't just sort of like a series of slow, sad, you know, wrist slitting type, um, you know, <laughs> depression music. It's like we, it's about uh, a journey and the sort of journey that the music takes you while you're doing breath work. Do you play journey? Just, because not that, yet. Oh, don't stop breathing. Oh, get out of my way. Don't, I don't know. Listen, don't stop breathing. Get it? Because it's breath work. Okay. Ooh, so would, would you say that this is one part woo and one part psychology? Uh, yeah, there's definitely woo in it because of it's, you know, very, it's intangible emotional shit. Um, right. Well, it sounds like yes, a single woo. It doesn't sound like woo woo. Well, it was interesting. It was interesting when you were explaining exactly what breath work was was now for those who don't know the term woo woo is kind of the stereotype you would put in like kind of the overly spiritual yoga crystally kind yeah like yeah. metaphysical sort of vibe and for myself i have a very i'm appreciative of the woo but I kind of I'm kind of anti woo and not because I'm like, oh, that's all bullshit because my mom was real woo. So I'm working mm. out like my parents stuff. Like, I don't want to seem too woo. And her mom I used feel to like come my to mom. my metaphysical yeah. bookstore because I was a professional psychic for many, many years. And wow. I taught classes on all of this stuff. Now, there's an interesting okay. side note to this. Uh, yeah. Breath work is now currently being used by the United States military. And I don't know if you know right. this or not, because they just no. came up with a new classification of medic that's almost like a battlefield holistic medic. Because they're not using opioids anymore, what they're doing is they're putting some money into acupuncture, breath work, mm. aromatherapy, 
um, <gasps> magnets, crystals, and they're actually supplying medics with this stuff so that they understand the overarching connection of how these things can help soldiers, particularly those with combat PTSD, so that they can Beautiful. do something to utilize it and what they're finding was the traditional use of opioids just isn't working. It's making people addicted. And this actually not only has a function, they created an entirely new job in the military, which I just thought was fascinating as somebody who had been involved with this stuff before. Yeah, no, but when you were talking about the breath work and, and me being kind of anti woo and I can't help it, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, and I honestly kind of when I hear about breath, because I've never done breath work, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And when I when I when I hear about it, like my inner eyes kind of roll a little. But when you explained Absolutely. it, I was does like your third eye roll. My th- oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. Ken. He went there. He went there. I sensed it. I no, sensed but, it. But, <laughs> but when you were explaining it, I was like, oh, my God, I totally get this. Like, this isn't woo woo. Yeah. Ha ha. It's, it's like it's a single woo. That's what I was saying. Yeah, it's, it's a single a woo. Woo, it's but not I, a woo-woo. I get it. I get, I'm, on, I'm on board with this. Well, I like this. The thing. this. That's the thing about... So breathwork can be as woo-woo or woo or non-woo as the practitioner makes it. So you will find people doing breathwork around the country that have just very different styles. And the thing that I always appreciated about Nathaniel... I love that Like this entire episode is basically why Nathaniel's amazing. Um, <laughs> he... He is a, uh, he's got a mohawk. He wears a, a, like a three piece suit. He swears like a fucking sailor and he's just really real. And he plays like death metal and rap in breathwork sessions. That's awesome. Yeah. His thing is, he know he is the, the perfect balance between the woo spiritual shit. He really, he understands symbolism. He does tarot. He's been a psychic before, like all of that shit, but he's also really rooted in the science and biology of what is happening to your body when you breathe. And so if you don't like woo, he's not going to go there. If you really like to try to understand what's going on with you, he'll go there. Like he'll meet you where you're at. And so Sunny, I relate to you. When I first was dating Nathaniel, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And, <laughs> um, really didn't know if I would be able to wrap my head around all of the, the woo because at the, in, at the time I was really, I, I mean, I'm a journalist, right? Like I love facts and research right. and science and, and so um, when I first started doing it, I really got to see how you can be a skeptic and a realist and still have an experience with breathwork. And if anything, have a, such a profound experience that you can work through your own resistance. And if anything, it's sort of like the, the most effective way for a sort of skeptical, cynical, fact-based type human to connect with your body, get out of your head for a little while and better understand your connection to the world. Like you don't have to define it or even understand it, but you can really feel like I'm part of something bigger, which makes me feel less hopeless or maybe less alone. And for people who like understanding things and have a very active conscious brain like mine and potentially yours, it's a wonderful respite from constantly trying to understand and figure it out and wrap your head around things. And you can just be like, I don't need to understand. All I need at the moment is to feel this. Yeah. I like that. See, now I'm hoping our next trip to LA we're in and we're in on a Tuesday and we have Tuesday night free. I will totally go do I would actually love to do it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this. It's based in science because you can, when you're doing breath work 
create a visualization, hypnosis, or you're even in an REM sleep state, you're approaching something called the delta theta state where your brain mm-hmm. waves reach a certain level where you're hyper focusing and hyper concentrating. And all of those things make you go inward. Your peripheral vision dims a little bit. And no matter how you get there, no matter whether it's dreaming, whether it's breath work, whether it's hypnosis, it's all sort of achieving the same state that mm-hmm. is rooted in science. And, you know, it's it's just a different journey in how you get to the same destination. So there is some science behind what he's doing. It's not like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not sorcery, right? No, you're speaking (laughs) my language because it's like, I have this internal conundrum where I do like deep down, you still like mercury retrogrades. Yeah. I still am like, (laughs) it's mercury retrograde deep down. I, I do believe in some of the woo, but I have this, like, I think I have this mental block because of my mother. So I believe, I believe a lot of the woo is true, which I'm rhyming too. Um, oh, God. I believe a lot of the woo is true, but we have to get there with science. I don't know. That's my song. I believe yeah. science can lead Beautiful. to the woo, you know? Yeah. So, wow. I feel Absolutely. really enlightened right now. So, oh really God. quick, can, for can people I listening. Some incense and rub you with a magnet? I like incense. <laughs> oh, like, I don't know if you could rub me with a magnet, though. That might be too much. Might what about be. a crystal? Can I bring my tiger's eye down and oh, rub it on your chest? God, no, put it on her third eye. It helps. But yeah, you know what? Third, but if you have boobs. a moonstone, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a pass for some moonstone. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> for people who are in the LA area on Tuesday nights, what is it again? What do they look up to find this? For that, that is a so people who are in recovery for any for substance use disorder, any kind of compulsive behavior, trauma, PTSD. It's Tuesday nights. Uh, I believe it's at 7.15. But if you go to breathworkforrecovery.com, uh, it should actually list all the information people need about what it is. The Tuesday nights are, are called the Recovery Circle. Mm-hmm. So you can read more about breathwork itself, and then you can read about the Recovery Circle and when it happens. So they start promptly at 7.30. That's cool. It. And yeah. so where can I go if I, if, you know, let's just pretend theoretically I might have yeah. some shit to own. Let's just pretend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kidding. I do. We all have shit to own. We all do. Oh my we God. do. We do. Where can I go or people go to own their shit? Um, right now, our next event probably will be in March. It'll be in Los Angeles. Um, we are going to be doing it in uh, San Diego in maybe three months. It's really about locking down the actual um, dates with the venues. But if you go to, um, actually, we can put the website in the show notes. Our event page is own your shit minus the letter I because it's a swear word. Own your SHT at uh, dot splash that dot com. We use splash that for our event ticketing because it has a low fee. Cool. Um, oh, that's that's actually good to know for people that are throwing events. Like you can take a look at that and maybe oh, yeah, utilize it for that. yourself. I love it. It's, it's really a good website. Um, and so you can read about what the own your shit rights and rights of healthy relationships workshop is all about. You can read a little bit more about. Nathaniel and me and how we work together. And we are building a company solely based on self-love and self-empowerment called the Center for Self-Love. And that should be launching in the next two months. And it's really a place where if you're looking for empowerment and education with your sexuality or your relationship communication, you go to Ann Hodder. If you're looking for breath work or tarot, you would go to Nathaniel. If you want to do dream work, um, he and I both work with people's subconscious and their dreams to help better understand what's going on with them. We both do dream work, and then it'll be a hub for all of the 
workshops that he and I are doing together. Okay. All right. I wish it existed today, but it doesn't yet. Yay. I'm excited. I, yeah. I want, I want to see how that manifests. And then the last thing, I know we kind of gave this a drive by like your, your marketing that you do and your PR, but I have to say like knowing you just in, you know, as, as a business colleague or whatnot, my former profession and my, my degrees in marketing, I worked for the top two ad agency for like 17 years. You are amazing. I'm like, how are were you? Just, did you just like drop out of the womb a good marketer? I don't know, but you're fucking amazing. Oh, um, you're so nice. Oh, um, so w- <laughs> where can people find you if they have like a sex-based business or they want some of that from you? Wh- where do they oh, go? Yeah. What do they do? If um, To learn about like the marketing services, full disclosure, like I, I try to incorporate some form of accurate sex education into my marketing because um, I think it benefits everyone. If you go to hottermedia.com, um, I'm sure we'll have a link in the show notes. You can learn about the consulting and the writing and the marketing work. But if you want to learn more about some of the workshops that I do as a sex educator, you can go to annhotter.com. That'll list a little bit more about me, but it also has a list of some of my most popular workshops that people hire me for, including the Own Your Shit workshops. But there are also a couple of bachelorette party workshops that people go crazy for, mostly around oral sex, you know, how to be a better oral sex giver. So people can... Look at all of that stuff at anhotter.com. So you know what? This is really funny because I think we spent 20 minutes talking about Barbie Davenport, 30 minutes talking about Nathaniel, and two minutes <laughs> talking about Ann Hotter. The story of my fucking life, Ken. I love telling everyone about other people's shit and never about my own. Oh, my God. But you know what? As I was listening to you, and I've thought this about you before, that like you have so many plates spinning and you do so many things and you do them all really well. And I'm just oh. like... What? How the fuck can she do all that? I have a, I have a feeling you're Ann Hotter and you're Barbie Davenport, and you are two different people. Because that's how you're getting all this shit done. Want to get all, oh woo woo here? I am a Gemini, and so some people <gasps> say that means that I'm sort of divided and you know blah 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 stuff. I don't know. I've always been. I will say, I sometimes don't know how I do it all. I am definitely a higher energy, high anxiety person. And I was always grown up or I was, I grew up sort of like, I need to always be doing something. If I'm not doing then I am not su- close to success and I am no, I am in, as a result, I am not safe. And so I did spend the majority of my twenties hustling, just going fucking nuts with the business building and getting stuff done and being constantly worried and really like loading myself up with responsibility and burden. and. When I turned 30, my body kind of shut down a little bit from like, basically my organs were just like, fuck this shit. Like, this is dumb. I'm, you know, piecing out. And I had to really do a lot of work about, okay, so yes, I'm, I like doing this stuff and I am good at it. What do I, what am I really getting out of it? What is the need here? And I, I learned that my identity was really rooted in the work that I did and who I was as a business person. And so as I sort of started doing more sex ed work and less industry work, I had to kind of go on a similar process that some of my recovery clients are going on where it's just like, who am I actually? If I'm not doing marketing 24-7, then who am I? And it's been a really interesting few years because I'm obviously a lot closer to who I really am deep down as an actual human and not just a worker. It's a nice place to be. But there's definitely it's it's a foreign, strange place. Um, but that whole that whole experience of being like the bustler, doing all these things, look at all the, the spinning plates, 
has definitely got me where I am now, but it isn't, it's not the greatest quality of life, at least for me. I thrived for a really long time and then stopped thriving kind of suddenly. Mm-hmm. So now I still do the spinning plate thing, but I, I have a new skill I have acquired where I'm able to sort of decide like, is this worth my time and energy? And if it's not, then I don't need to do it. I don't need to take it on and I don't need to be the one who does it. And I, and I can let a colleague who's trying to do what I'm doing, I'll just let them do it because they'll handle it and I'll be just as fine if I, and if not better, if I don't end up taking on that additional responsibility. So like you, you owned your own shit with yourself kind of. Oh my gosh. I have done the, the whole reason why I am even in a healthy relationship in a, like a marriage. I was never going to get married. Like, fuck that. Like, what was the point? I, if I hadn't gone through what I went through now, got introduced to some of the woo-woo emo therapy stuff that Nathaniel was familiar with, I wouldn't be rooted in the foundation that I'm in now. And it was all owning my shit. And that's all I ever do. And if you, and it's not always easy and I'm not always good at it. I'm probably not good at it, but like by doing it, you end up becoming closer to yourself, more connected with yourself. You connect with others. You're able to better identify other people who are on a similar page. Like it, you immediately start realizing, okay, this person doesn't own their shit. I'm not safe around this person. I don't really want to spend my time and energy with this person. And you can very easily cut the cord and move on to someone who is on the same page as you where self-work and dealing with your shit on your own without relying on one another to do it for them is it just, it just it's easier to have that kind of relationship. I don't know. I don't think I like I'm being that. the most articulate human at the moment. No, I like that. And I think I think that's a good thing for our our listeners to take away cuz we're out of time, which sucks. It always goes mm. by so fast. But it yeah. Does. So listeners, go out and own your shit. Go be free, listeners. Yes? Totally. And if you yes. need help, you know who to call cuz it is not easy to do by yourself, but there are really amazing Call Nathaniel. No. Yeah. <laughs> You can yeah, do it like Ghostbusters. Call Anne and Nathaniel. Call Anne. Yes. Call. Thank you. That's Anne. Better. My God. I should have Nathaniel on your show next so he can talk about his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we need to have him come. No, he needs to come in and talk, talk about, about you. you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, thank Anne. You this so has much, been Anne. great. Of Thanks. course. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.